Heavenly Father, it is an incredible privilege and it is a sure sign of your mercy and grace that we are here. And Lord, we ask you to continue that grace toward us in opening up your word to us, granting us ears to hear, granting us eyes to see, and granting a heart to really embrace and receive what you bring to us tonight. And we pray that in your son's glorious and wonderful name. Amen. You know, it is, and it is a, uh, I, I think this is exciting what we're doing. And I am privileged to be, have a part in it. And uh, as you all do too, right? So tonight I'm going to read from uh, Hebrews chapter 4. I'm going to read, I, I, I look at a whole bunch of different translations every time I get into the word and uh, so I'm going to read from the Holman Christian Standard Bible tonight with a little bit of a mix of my own from all the other translations, okay? So just follow on. So we're going to read verses 1 through 10 of chapter 4. Therefore, while the promise to enter his rest remains, let us fear that none of you should miss it. For we also received the good news just as they did, that's referring to the Israelites. But the message they heard did not benefit them since they were not united with those who heard it in faith. I believe that refers to Joshua and Caleb. And also, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard. And then in parentheses, we who have believed enter the rest. End of parentheses. In keeping with what he has said, so they did not unite it. So here's what happened. In keeping what he has said, so I swore in my anger, they will not enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the foundation of the world. For, someone, for somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in this way. And on the seventh day God rested from his works. Again in that passage he says, and that's from Psalm 95, we'll see that. They will never enter my rest. Now, since it remains for some to enter it, the rest, and those who formerly received the good news did not enter it because of disobedience. Again, he specifies a certain day today. Speaking through David after such a long time, as previously stated, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. Therefore, a Sabbath rest remains for God's people. For the, per for the person who has entered his rest has rested from his own works just as God did from his. So it's, a lot of that is almost self-explanatory, but we're going to get into it. Now I want to give a quick background to this, and this is very important. Going back to chapter 3, what the writer had in mind is two, two sections from the Scripture, Numbers 13 and 14 and Psalm 95. And what I would encourage you to do, if you want to take a challenge and here's some voluntary homework, read those. Spend some time and read right through, especially Numbers 13 and 14. The author is going to refer to that a number of times in the book of Hebrews. One of those in particular is chapter 6. 
So, I'm going to give you a quick run through Hebrews, Numbers 13 and 14. First, chapter 12 in Numbers ends with them in a, in a place called Hazoreth, and they camped, they, they left that place and they camped in the wilderness of Passan, Parsan. And at that time, they selected an individual from each tribe. So 12 individuals were going to be spies sent into the land to spy it out. Okay? And so before they left, Moses gave them instruction as to what they were to do. And they went in there. There's a brief summary of their journey through that, through the, through the promised land. They're there at that border. They're entering in, and those 12 spies go in to spy it out. They were there for 40 days, it mentions later on in chapter 14. Upon returning, they described to the assembly, they assembled everybody together, what they found out. And I think you know the story. They focused on the negative stuff. They said, there's giants in the land. We're going to be consumed by them. There's no way we can go in. So the whole assembly, with very few exceptions, rebelled and were about to stone Moses, Joshua, and Caleb, about to kill them. And the glory of the Lord appeared. And he began a dialogue. It's quite interesting. He began a dialogue with Moses. And he's ready to wipe them out. And Moses intercedes, and he doesn't do that. But this is what he does do. He swears. He swears. He makes a solemn oath. Those who have seen his glory and the signs, and they've tested him now ten times. So this is not an isolated incident. This is the tenth testing of God by the children of Israel. He does this. He swears in his wrath they shall not enter into the land, the land of Canaan, except Joshua and Caleb. And immediately the ten spies that gave the bad report were consumed by a plague right on the spot. Well, of course, that shook up everybody. You can imagine that. And the following day, so they gave it a day, the children of Israel repented and said, we're really sorry. We want to go in. We're going to go in. We can go in. Let's do it. Let's do it. And Moses said, no way. The Lord said, no, that's it. Don't disobey again. They said, no, we're going to go in. We're going to, we're going to go. We're going to do it. So they went in. And they got slaughtered by the Amalekites and the Canaanites. And they came back with the tail between their legs. And that whole generation, 30 years old and over, died in the wilderness, except Joshua and Caleb. That's the backdrop. You got that picture? Pretty severe picture, right? Psalm 95, then David, the writer of Hebrews says that's David, says he's praising God. The psalm starts out with, with uh, songs of joy and enter into his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. And then all of a sudden he says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. As in the day of Meribah, Meribah means provocation. That's how the Hebrew author translates it. And Massa, testing. When I swore in my anger, they will not enter into my rest. And so now he changes the word from the land to rest. So that's the backdrop. So let's walk through these verses, okay? And at the end, we want to apply it to ourselves. So I'm just going to be reading my, from my notes and making a few comments because I really want to get to the heart of the subject. 
which I believe is really in the last two verses in the subject of what is rest and how do you enter into it? Wouldn't you like to know? What is his rest and how do I enter into it? So verse 1, it's very clear. A promise remains of entering his rest. That's very important to get the rest down. What rest is it? It's his rest. We'll come up to that more. The children of Israel missed it in their day. Very clear throughout this passage, chapter, thir- chapter 3 of Hebrews, says again and again, they did not enter in. In fact, God swore in anger and wrath, they will not enter in. And they did not. So, we can also miss it, brothers and sisters. That's what we're talking about in Hebrews. We can miss the rest of God. So, let us fear. This is where godly fear comes in. You know, that's one of the big elements missing today in a lot of Christendom, Christianity. And I hope not in our hearts, but to fear God. God is serious. It was serious business. They were there at that land. That was the tenth time, and God said, that's it. You won't go in. They said, well, we're sorry. We're sorry. They repented. We'll see later, get into chapter 6. God didn't repent. God didn't change his mind. Verse 2, the good news was received by us and as it was received by them. Now, what the good news here is, in the context, in the context of all of Hebrews, is this. It's not talking about forgiveness of sins based upon the finished work of the cross. That's not the good news that the book of Hebrews is talking about. The book of Hebrews is talking about the rest that we'll come into, the kingdom, the city that is awaiting the inheritance that God has for us. It's like we shared a couple weeks ago. Salvation is, I, I have been saved, I'm being saved, and I will be saved. And so there's that which is ahead of us, and the book of Hebrews focuses on that which is ahead of us, that we are working toward and moving toward and going toward with the anticipation to enter into it. Okay? The issue here in, in verse 2 is not one of hearing. Everybody heard, right? The whole nation heard. They heard the good news. They knew about it. They marched, and they were marching. It actually was when the time they got to Numbers 13, they had, been in the, they had been in the wilderness for a couple of years. They had constructed the tabernacle. They had learned, they had initiated the whole priesthood. They're ready to roll right into, the, into that good land, just as God promised, as an inheritance to them. Okay? So it's not one of hearing. It's whether it benefits or profits you. That's the issue. What do you do with what you hear? Now, how to get the benefit? He says it right there. You have to unite it. You have to mix it. You have to join with those who heard in faith. In other words, there were the 12 spies. Two of them said, it's a good report. Caleb was quite strong. He says, we can go in. God promised. Look what he did for the last two plus years. And you're saying he can't get us in there? Think about that. But the other 10 would not unite with them. And they refused, and they gave a bad report, and they said, no way, no way. We're going to get wiped out. Let's turn back. And also, they exercised, they did not exercise faith. And I'm not going to spend any time on that tonight, because we're going to have a whole chapter, chapter 11, 
on the whole issue of faith. What does it look like? Okay? Verses 3 and 4. Starts with this way, and I believe this is in parentheses. I think that the author's putting this in parentheses because he's making a point. It's not those who hear it, it's we who believe enter his rest. And I think even the more accurate translation is the ones believing. It's not something we believed, it's something that we are believing today that is borne out in the actions of our lives, the life that we live. We who are believing, active. It's a statement of fact. And those are the ones that are actually entering in, the ones believing. And then it it starts to talk about his works. Okay? Where's the actual text here? His works have been finished from the foundation of of the world. Okay? So he is, again, he is looking back, the author is looking back at Genesis chapter 1. We better go there. We better go there and read these verses. Genesis 1, verse 31. It's very important that we, we capture the essence of what's in these verses. Because the author is going to draw out from it a concept and a pattern for rest. Okay? And God saw everything that he made. Verse 31. And indeed, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day, and thus the heavens and the earth and all their host were finished. And on the seventh day, God finished his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work which he has done. And God blessed the seventh day. He sanctified it because in it he rested from all the work which God had created and made. Notice this. He finished all his work. It was very good. God rested. And here's a key concept. We need to get this. Rest comes when a very good and well done work is finished. Did you get that? Rest comes. It doesn't come elsewhere. You know, you you couldn't call it rest if you're just putzing around and doing stuff and... All of a sudden, you walk away from that, and it's still undone, right? I know some people that would just fidget out of that. What, you know, you call that finished, and you can rest? How can you rest? I know when I've got a task. Right now, I'm doing a task. I have the Logos Bible study. Stop, buddy, <laughs> excuse me, Logos Bible software. It's amazing software, uber-powerful, best software there is for the Bible, study the Bible. It takes a lot of work. And you know what? I can't really use the software until I do the work. I have to finish the work, and I have to do it well, and then, you know what? I can rest and enjoy the software. Right now, I can't do that. So that's the concept we need to draw from these verses here, because it's going to be repeated throughout the Scripture, let alone uh, Hebrews. Okay, the next set of verses, 5 through 8. So here's what happened. God swore that the Israelites would not enter his rest. Yet, so here's the argument the author of Hebrews is making, it remains for some to enter. Why? Because Psalm 95 was written many, many years after what happened in Numbers 13 and 14. 
Here's that psalm written many years after, and what it says, after a long period of time, it yet speaks of today. And that's a real big concept. Today. When is today? Today, right? And then tomorrow, what is it going to be tomorrow when it gets here? Today. How about the following week? Today. As long as it's called today, the argument he's making here is there is the opportunity to enter his rest. I think it's still called today. We haven't got to that day yet. The coming day. I think it refers to the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. The day of his return to set up his kingdom. I think that's what it's referring to as that other day. Until that day happens, it is today, and we have the opportunity to enter into his rest. Okay? So he says here, if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken about another day. Joshua did not give rest to the people of God. And there's still the opportunity to enter that rest. Okay. So here is the key verses I really want to spend the time on. These last two. Very, very pointed. He sums up the argument. Therefore, verse 9, a Sabbath rest remains for God's people. Now he adds another word here, Sabbath rest. So there are seven-day cycles. That's a huge subject in the Scripture. You can spend a lot of time studying about the cycle of seven days and seven things and this and that, right? The, whole, the book of Revelation is full of sevens. Seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls, seven churches, seven, seven, seven. It's got it's to mean something, right? It's got to mean something. So here he's talking about Sabbath. There's a Sabbath rest that remains for the people of God. And then it says, for the person who has entered his rest has rested from his own works just as God did from his. Now we really need to dig in. And we're going to use the concept we already looked at. We have to go back to that concept. What is God's rest? What qualifies it for being rest as God defines it? It's not as you and I define it. It's as God defines it. He has his rest, and the rest we enter into is his rest. Okay? And when we look again at the verses, Genesis 1 through 131 through 2, verse 3, here's the concept. God finished his work. It was all very good, and God rested. So the concept is rest comes when a very good, well-done work is finished. In Genesis 1 and 2, the Creator finished His work. Now, who's the Creator? In, gen, in, in the book of Hebrews, go back, chapter 1, who's the creator? Somebody's yelling it out a little bit. There you go. Verse 2. In the last days he's spoken to us in the Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the universe. The creator is Jesus Christ. The guy that directly made it. So the one that is mentioning about his rest in Genesis, who is that? That's the same guy. It's got to be the same guy, right? 
I'm not talking about two guys. We're not talking about two creations. We're not talking about two rests. There's one God, one creation, and one rest. And that God is Jesus Christ. Okay? There's also another rest. There's the, there's the work of the cross that was given by the Father to Jesus to do. Go to John 17, verse 4. John 17, verse 4. Now this, throughout the book of John, it's very interesting. Uh, there's a number of times where it says that the Lord is working, he's doing the works of the Father. It's very interesting. They quoted, in a sense, Genesis, and they said, well, look, God's finished from his work. And he said, no, the Lord said, no, no. God is working, my Father is working, and I am working still. So, but it said in Genesis, God is resting, didn't it? Didn't it say he rested and his, his, and his works were finished from the foundation of the world? That's what it said in Hebrews, right? But it also still says that God is working. Okay, so John 17, verse 4. Here the Lord is about to go to the cross. It's the, the night before his betrayal. It was the night of his betrayal. And he said this, I have glorified your name, you on earth, finishing the work that you gave me to do. I finished it. Now, he hadn't quite gotten there. It hadn't been actually, but it's, it's as good as done. And then what did, what did he say on the cross? There's a lot, number of sayings from the cross. What was one of them? Amen. Say that again. Amen. Amen. Right. It's finished. Right? It's a finished work. How do we know it's finished? Go back to Hebrews chapter 1. What happened? Look at verse 4, 3, excuse me, verse 3. New King James says, when he had by himself purged us of our sins, he what? Sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Four times in the book of Hebrews that is mentioned. That's a very important key to understand the book of Hebrews. Right now, there is a man in the glory He's seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. He holds the highest position in the whole universe. And he is a man on the, glory, on the seat of glory. God is now, what is he doing? He's putting every enemy under his feet. That's another concept. We're going to get into that here real quick. So based on this work, these works, God's finished work in creation, God's finished work in redemption, here's what we have to do to enter into the rest. This is the key part, right? I'd like to know what it takes. And I've been working on this for about 40 years now trying to understand. What does it take to get in? And I got a few little clues. You know, I've studied the book of Hebrews quite a few times. I've given Bible studies Several Bible studies, a couple of them lasted a couple years on the book of Hebrews. I still am learning something every time I touch that thing. By faith, each of us must enter into the finished redemptive work of Christ. We are not setting out to try to establish our own righteousness. Can I hear an amen? amen. We have said so many times, 
Kevin has said it up here. Others have said it up here. We are not working for salvation. We work from salvation. It is a finished work. It is completed. And by faith, I stand in that grace. Amen? And, I, and I, there will be no progress in entering into his rest if we do not rest in the finished work of Christ. So I hope and pray that every single person here tonight is resting and knows what it is to rest in that finished work. You're not laboring to be well-pleasing to God. You are pleasing to God, and from that basis, you move on. Amen? So that's the start. But go with me to Mark 13, 34. Mark 13, 34. And when we're going to read this, also think... Think in terms of the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, the parable of the pounds in Luke 19. This one goes along with those two parables. Verse 34, he said this, the Lord's going away, and here's a parable he gives. He says, it's like a man who is about to go abroad. What he's talking about is he's about to finish the work of the cross, and he's about to enter up into the heavenly places to go be seated at the right hand of God. So he's going to do that. Having left his house and given his slaves authority. And then the next few words, to each his work. Very simple. Very profound. Are all of you slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ? Whoever's a slave, whoever's a servant of Christ, raise your hand, please. I'm going to see if there's anybody here that's not. Okay, right there. Well, I'll talk to you afterwards. Um, so all of us raised our hand, right? All you servants, what happened to you? Okay, he gave you authority to each his work. You have a specified work to do. One of my favorite passages, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. We are his workmanship, his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So you and I, each and every one of us has a path, no exceptions. No exceptions. All the slaves, if you look again at the parable of the talents, parable of the pounds, you compare all those, compare it with this, you're going to see every one of us, according to our own ability, by virtue of the genetic makeup that you've got under the sovereignty of God and by the course of life, you have been given spiritual talents to match that and to do the Lord's work. And everybody can either multiply them or bury them. And I'll tell you, I'll just give you a hint up front. Those that bury them will not enter the rest. I'm quite sure. Okay. We must faithfully finish. We must faithfully finish whatever that means. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means. I was talking to Rich here just before the meeting tonight. He and I were talking. He's got a perspectives class that he's going to bring to the uh, church here and some other churches. Two others, I think, are in partnership. Great class. I encourage everyone to take it. It gives you some great perspective 
on the worldview that comes from this book. Okay? But somehow I got sucked into it. You know, I think it's divine. I think it's God's divine sovereign hand. Somehow he works that way. He drops, you know, he comes around and says, Maribel, I think you ought to do this, you know. And Maribel kind of goes, oh, I don't know, but, you know, there's something stirring inside and the Spirit of God's pushing. Maribel, go do that, right? Every one of us has got to work. Here's what should happen at the end of our course. Go with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4. I'm going to read 6 through 8. For I am already being poured out. This is Paul telling Timothy, I'm being poured out. I'm being poured out as a drink offering. That was the picture from the Old Testament. And the whole thing was poured out. Nothing left. And the time of my departure is at hand. Getting right down to brass tacks, that means he's going to die. Listen to verse 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. That is a very good, well done work. I fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. We're going to talk about the fight here in a minute. Henceforth, verse 8, because of that, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will recompense to me, give me as wages, literally, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. That's in the, that, that tells us when the rest is entered into. At that day when the Lord comes and establishes his kingdom on this earth, we will enter into his rest. Till that day comes, we all have a work to do. There's one more element of that work, very critical. I think it's one that is missed even more than the work part. Go with me to a Joshua chapter 11, verse 23. I like to flip around in the Bible. I hope you like to flip, flip around because you're going to find out if you don't know where Joshua is, please try to go there. Joshua 11, verse, verse 23. So Joshua took the whole land according to all that Jehovah had spoken to Moses and Joshua gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to their divisions by their tribes, and then the last sentence, and the land had rest from war. Not only is the work not finished, there's a lot of work. We still have the Great Commission to do. We still have the building of the church to do, the building up of the brothers and sisters. Paul said he made it his aim to present every man full grown in Christ. I don't know about you, I know I'm not there yet. And that's the aim right? So Kevin and Lowell and Rick, despite even what Rick believes. No, I'm just joking, Rick. <laughs> I'm, I'm being worked on, right? My mind's being renewed. The dear wife, she showed up tonight. She, she's helping me. She's pretty strict. 
Keeps things, keeps a tight ship at home. That's good. Every once in a while I get loose. She brings me back. But there's a war going on as well. Anybody think there's not a spiritual war going on? In fact, this world is in the throes of a spiritual war. It is intense. If you read the news, if you understand what's going on, this is a war like no other war. All the other wars are connected with this war. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities and powers. And they are akin in picture and type to those Rephidim and, uh, Rephidim and the Annex, the sons of Annex that were in the land. They're giants. They are giants. Martin Luther, a mighty fortress is our God. If the right man were not on our side, we are not equal to face any of those guys. They would wipe us out in a moment. But we have the right man on our side. We have the right man on our side who is seated in the heavenlies, interceding for us. Okay, what was the context? I want to just finish up with this. What was the context for the, for the Hebrew believers? The Hebrew believers, the reason why the author was writing as he was writing is because the Hebrew Christians were very close to repeating what their fathers had done in Numbers 13 and 14. Very close. Their fathers were delivered from Egypt. They never went back. Despite all that error, all that stuff, they never returned to the land of Egypt. There is a position of being saved from which we can never draw back from. But we are in the process of being saved and we will be saved. And that salvation is to enter into God's rest in this context. Their fathers were delivered from Egypt. They were going through the wilderness. They came into contact with the promised land. But then because of the deceitfulness of sin... That led to hardness of heart with unbelief that resulted in disobedience. They refused to go in, so God swore in wrath they would not enter in, and they did not. And the Hebrew Christians, here's what was happening with them. They were suffering. You're going to see these things in the book of Hebrews. They were suffering persecution. The, the Jews were fighting against them, persecuting them, still putting them in prisons, taking their goods. They were suffering for that. There's something mentioning where even if the, the writer of Hebrews had to say about the Lord, he will not delay his coming, he will come, and he will not, you know, he's going to make it here. So they were wavering what's happened. They thought the Lord was going to come back right away. Their vision of things to come was fading. I think one of the biggest failures of the church today is we are beginning to focus more and more on this world and trying to fix it. We're not going to fix this world, guys. This is a sinking ship is going down, and we are to rescue souls just like the loss in the Titanic. And they were ready to give up their works of obedience and their stand against the enemy. They were going to do that. And so there was this word of exhortation that the writer was giving to them to bring them back on focus to the Son of God, his finished work, and all that that meant for the things ahead of us. Now, here's my final word. And you may not agree with me. That's your prerogative. I believe American Christianity is near that very same state. 
we're there. There's a wave of lawlessness right now that is going and growing in this nation. And, you know, it would be wonderful if there were revival and all that kind of stuff, but brothers and sisters, my honest opinion, and that's what it is, it's an opinion, I believe potentially we are being launched into that where God takes back, like it says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he takes away the restraint to lawlessness and lawlessness rises to the full in open rebellion against God. I think we're very close. That's my opinion. The foundations are being destroyed. I can't remember where that one verse is, but it says if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? And we are seeing the wiping out of the very founding principles of this nation, and they are being gone. And they've, in some places in this world, have never been established. I think we're losing sight of the kingdom of Messiah. Ultimately, our goal, brothers and sisters, is not a revived U.S. It is the kingdom of God to come on this earth. The greatest need that this earth has is the return of the Lord Jesus Christ in open glory to deal with all the evil and to establish his kingdom. And if you have another view, I pray for you. I'm serious about that. We are losing our testimony. We, the church, are losing our testimony. The church is the pillar and ground of the truth. If the church is not standing in testimony to who God is and what he has accomplished through the person and work of his son, we have no other testimony that's real. That's the testimony, and we are losing it. The church is losing it. I don't think we are. There's always a remnant. God does that. But the church, by and large, is losing that. And we are losing our stand. That testimony is our stand. You know, there's some theology going around today that uh, believes that we go out there and by marching around, and I'm not against this. Please understand where I'm coming from. We go out and we go to a city and we march around and we pray for it. But brothers and sisters, there's no doctrine in the Scripture about taking ground for the Lord. What we've got in the scripture is taking a stand in the midst of an onslaught of the enemy and having done all to stand. If you read the scriptures, you read in Daniel, one of the tactics, and I think it is the tactic today in the Western civilization for Christians, is he wears out the saints of the Most High. He wears them out. It says God gives him authority. It says in Daniel and Revelation, to overcome them. But we overcome him how? By the blood of the Lamb. We're standing in that finished work of the cross. By the word of our testimony, we take a stand for what is of God against the onslaught of the enemy, and we don't love our lives even unto death. If we will do that, if every one of us will finish the work that God has given us to do, fight against the enemy, to the very end of our lives, whenever that may be, the Lord come or we die, we will enter his rest. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, 
Lord, help us to really lay hold of this. I know it's a, I got excited. But it is a serious topic. It's a warning. It's a warning to every one of us. We can miss the rest of God, and we don't want to do that. We want to enter your rest. We want a taste of it today and enter into it fully at your coming again. So, Lord, please work in us. Please keep us on track. I thank you for the constant reminders. I thank you for this assembly known as Calvary Chapel South. I thank you for the leadership here. I thank you for the brothers and sisters that are here. And we need to exhort ourselves all the more as we see that day approaching. May, we, may Lord, by your mercy and grace, please keep us on track. We ask this for your glory and the good of the whole human race. In Jesus' name, amen.